This is the You Winning Life Podcast, your number one source for mastering a positive existence. Each episode, we'll be interviewing exceptional people, giving you empowering insights, and guiding you to extraordinary outcomes. Learn from specialists in the worlds of integrative and natural wellness, spirituality, psychology, and entrepreneurship. So you too can be winning life. Now, here's your host, licensed marriage and family therapist, certified neuro-emotional technique practitioner, and certified entrepreneur coach, Jason Wasser. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the You Winning Life podcast with Jason Wasser. I have a really awesome guest on today. Not only is this person a educator, an author, a husband and a dad, but he's also uh, an old friend of mine who I've known for probably at least a good 10 to 12 years now at this point. Um, I had the pleasure of being his children's youth director um, at a community synagogue here in South Florida in Cooper City. Um, and there's a lot of really cool things going on in your life presently. So I want to welcome Bruce Weinberg and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. It's good to see you again. Pleasure to see you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you're doing good things and uh, I'm moving on too as well. Which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you here. So let's first jump into the world of education. So to my knowledge, you recently retired. Is that correct? I did. I retired in 2016 um, for specific reasons, which we can get into later if you'd like. Um, and, um, and after that, I decided there were still some creative juices flowing inside of me, which is the reason that prompted me to write this book, Fabulous Feats of Mr. B. Yeah. Um, now available on Amazon. No. Uh, so, we will and, definitely have time to plug that. Don't worry. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I still felt like that there was a lot of creative juices inside of me and I wanted to do more and I felt that there was a need for a children's book like that. So, um, and I reached a point after 35 years of teaching that, you know, when you kind of know when it's time. So how did you know it was time to get into the field? Let's go back 35 years. Um, believe it or not, I was in graduate school and I was kind of like floundering. I'm sure my parents wanted me to become a lawyer, <laughs> um, a lawyer, but I, oops, I lost you. So since you were teaching for the last 35 or so years, let's go all the way back to the beginning and let's start with how you actually managed to get into this, into this field. I, to be honest with you, I never planned on becoming a teacher. Actually, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to be specifically, but I always knew that I had a love for theater uh, because I was involved in theater at a very young age. Um, when I went to graduate school, I got my master's in theater education, and um, I'm sure at the time my parents still wanted me to become a, become a lawyer, but uh, I was sort of headed down a different direction because I you know, still had this love for, for, for performance and for acting and writing, things like that. So um, I had a graduate professor, and that professor was actually a professor in um, teaching English. And I decided I kind of got close to him in the, I was taking a class, the class was, was called Creative Dramatics for the Use of Teaching Secondary English, which is kind of novel, you know, when I, you know, in uh, 1970, like 75 or 76. So um, he found out that I had a drama background and he had the, the English background. So theoretically, we actually team taught the class. I 
taught all the creative dramatic aspects of it and he taught all the English aspects of it and we you know collaborated as we were doing it and you know and I loved it it was like amazing to have you know worked with those kids work with those fellow students and whatever and then he and I kind of hit it off and became friends more than just professor student and um, one day I was sort of just kind of I don't know just kind of like thinking about my life. And I said to him, and he could tell I was like reflecting and he said, what's going on? And I told him, I said, I, I don't really know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. it was not necessarily a good thing considering I was probably in my, you know, mid twenties, uh, 25 or 26. And he said, he, and he was like, are you kidding me? He goes, you're the most natural teacher I've ever seen in my life. He said, I guess I can't, he said, I've never seen anybody teach like you. He said, just look at the kids that you've impacted here, you know, in our class. And I he said, because if you don't go into teaching, I'd be very disappointed. So wow. he was the one that actually encouraged me when, you know, in my mid twenties, when I was in graduate school to, uh, go, to go into teaching. So is it fair to say that because of this person, because of a mentor, because of a strong influence that sharply changed the direction of your life? Well, I never really thought about it, but he was the one that kind of, you know, clued me into how mm. good I was at it. And at, like, I just, like, it came natural to me and I didn't really think about it, you know, that much. It wasn't, it wasn't like a thought like, gee, I mean, like I wasn't, as I was growing up, I wasn't thinking like, gee, I want to be a drama teacher, you know, kind of thing. So, but the more he helped guided me and the more we worked together and collaborated the more i started to realize that that was something i really loved and it was something that kind of uh, tapped into my own passion mm -hmm. so I, which is really cool because as you look at today's society right we can go in two different directions with this one one is the importance of finding a mentor right? And someone who believes in you, that's not your parent, you know, whether it's an athletic coach or like you've on this, been a professor slash drama coach, but you're, but the other side of the, the coin is being in theater is the cool thing. Now being in drama is like, it's no longer right. The drama nerds, right? This is now like the cool thing to do. So what was that like for you when you first got into theater and drama and acting and how old were you when that happened? Well, I started when I was really young and then I started to develop it more in middle, in middle school and high school. As a matter of fact, um, my parents were supportive of my love for theater because I grew up in Pennsylvania. And at the time, um, they had this amazing acting school, which was um, the Pittsburgh Playhouse. The Pittsburgh Playhouse is now Point Park College. So uh, our part of the theater department is now taken over by Point Park College. So... Um, I had like these amazing teachers and like in, mm -hmm. when I was like maybe 12, I was doing Shakespeare and the wow. classics. <laughs> wow. you know, so it was just like something that, you know, you're not normally exposed to, but, sure. it was, but, but I love the challenge. It was great. You know, and they got you to kind of understand what was going on and understand the language and, you know, and all that and understand like, you know, how acting is supposed to work, you know, yeah. and believe it or not, um, it's, some people think like, oh, it's just acting, you know, it's like, it's, just, you know, it's, it's, it's easy, you know, easy breezy, just memorize some stuff and like, you know, get up there and say it, but mm -hmm. it's really not, it's really a lot more than that. So, so what, were, what were some of those skills that you had to deploy, right? You're, you're in middle school, you're beginning of high school, you're really getting into us, right? I know loving Shakespeare plays is a lot different than actually reading Shakespeare. Yeah, that's true. It is. But uh, the, I'll get to the second part of your yeah. question in a second. But the benefit of that is um, 
learning how to understand the language. In other words, you know, Shakespeare wrote a certain way and, and he was brilliant, obviously brilliant way before his time, you know, in that regard. So you kind of had to need, you kind of needed to like go beneath the surface of his lines mm -hmm. to understand like what he was trying to say and do and why that was significant and why it was important and, you know, the relationship between the characters and all that. Getting back to your other part, um, when I teach drama, even when I teach drama now or, or even, you know, or anytime that I like work with a kid or to help them with a monologue or whatever, um, I feel like that it emphasizes life skills and those life skills are the same things that you need to be successful in anything that you do, which are um, time management, self-responsibility, self dedication, motivation, um, you know, self-esteem, um, passion, you know, those kinds of things. Because, like, for instance, it, it applied to me when I was teaching in class, like your, your own everyday life. Like, for instance, you know, this was scheduled at a specific time. So, you know, we knew that, you know, we were on the same page and both of us, you know, were here on the exact same time to be able to do this. But, uh, you know, I really think that those kind of skills are like really, really valuable to try to, uh, to teach our kids, in, you know, in today's society. That's amazing. So now as you went from that stage where you had this professor and said you should be an educator, how did you get from the macro sense of being an educator to deciding that what you specifically wanted to focus on once as a profession? Well, I was lucky in the sense that um, my earlier teaching jobs, <laughs> notice that I'm prefacing that by saying it's my earlier teaching jobs. Um, I had these amazing experiences in my, you know, at the beginning of my career. And um, my first teaching job was in a very small town in called Osceola, Georgia. It was a population 4,000. Wow. Okay. They had one traffic light and one grocery store. Um, they had no place to sell beer or wine. So uh, needless to say, it was a, a huge culture change. But the thing that was kind of interesting for me is that there were kids that absolutely loved to perform. Mm. And it didn't matter. I mean, they could perform playing banjo and singing. They could perform you know, monologues. They could perform competition. They could do you know, speech, and, speech and debate competition. They were just like amazing. You know? So, you know, I, they, you know, people think like, oh, Ocilla, Georgia, you know, there are a bunch, a bunch of local yokels or whatever. And I'm thinking, well, you don't really know how talented these kids are until you actually work with them or whatever. But I have just like amazing stories. Like when we, we went to... Um, to performance at a TV station once, and we stopped at um, an indoor mall, and the the kids were that were there, um, they were like, "Can we go? To, can we get a lunch at the mall?" And I was like, "Yeah," you know, thinking that they always go to a mall, but but like most of these kids have never even been to a mall. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I walked in, and there was this kid, and he's like, he's just like staring up in the air, like you know, like, and I was like, "Jimmy, what are you doing?" And he's like, he goes. He goes, Mr. Weinberg, he goes, what's that? You know, it was, a, it was an escalator. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> so it was, you know, those are the kind of stories that you'll always see you know, stay, stay with you. They'll always you know, keep with you. And then I had other experiences. Like when I taught in Texas, I was at a gifted and talented um, middle school. 
the most gifted kids I've ever worked with. Mm -hmm. I have kids that are in there now that are performing. They've performed in uh, Bramson, Missouri. You know, they have their own talk shows. They, you know, they're, they're just, they're teaching theater and uh, whatever, or else they become like huge successful attorneys in like Dallas and Austin or whatever. So, you know, those were really, um, and I'm still Facebook friends with like all those kids. Mm -hmm. So those are really like significant um, and meaningful memories for me. How many of those kids would you, do you think like that this was their thing, right? The drama, the acting, the performing music versus the kids who are like, I'm an athlete. And how many of those kids were you able to see or maybe even develop into cross, you know, going cross stream, right? Someone maybe been an athlete and realized that they're also an entertainer, performer, actor and vice versa. So how did that play out? Especially when it comes to like skill base and skill set and, it's actually a really good question. I didn't find that kind of a conflict as much um, until I came to South Florida um, because it was a very clear delineation um, in our county uh, <laughs> where you know, you're either an athlete or you're anything else. You know what I'm saying? It was very hard to, you know, to have that crossover. Um, a lot of it really, believe it or not, had to do with time. You know, we're talking about the whole time thing or whatever. It's like, you know, I have rehearsal after school. The football team had rehearsal after school. The cheerleaders had rehearsal after school. The band had rehearsal after school. So it was like, you know, everybody was doing their own thing. But they had to pick one, right? It was kind of like, this is what you're doing for at least that year, that semester. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah it was difficult. Then, you know, some of them could take my class and they, you know, and I would be able to work with them in class, but then... I unfortunately couldn't get them to like be involved in any of the productions or any of the plays because they'd be like, I can't, you know, I can't do it. I have, I have, you know, athletics or whatever. So I was like, mm -hmm. okay, well, you know, and I tried to talk to the coach and the coach was like, listen, you know, chances are he's going to get an athletic scholarship. He's not going to get a drama scholarship. So let's go with that. I was like, okay. Gonna, you right. know. <laughs> so, so in a lot of ways, their destiny was really picked by an adult for these kids in those scenarios. Well, I, I think, that I think the kids knew like what they liked to do or, you know, where they felt comfortable with, you know, there, to me, there was a very clear cut drama group, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And, and in all of the schools that I worked at now, I will say that my first school that I worked at um, in South Florida was I was the artistic director for Dillard school of the arts. So you're talking about the most passionate kids in visual or per, visual or performing arts that are from all over the county and that was an amazing experience as well i mean we got we get guest artists to come in and you know to come in and perform for the kids and whatever and we had you know, kids that are just like amazing like painters and drawers and painting you know, dancers and um and actors and like one of the kids is directing on broadway now you know and like incredible his name is not Lin-Manuel Miranda, correct? I uh, know, but I'm sure he started out with Simple Roots. <laughs> Sounds like he did, yeah. Just, uh, you know, if we want to engage some of those listeners out there, that like, if we can grab them with something, right? It's like anything that has to do with Hamilton, <laughs> they'll, maybe they'll listen to the show. Well, if they listen to the show, we give them free, free tickets to uh, <laughs> the 100th caller. We'll get free tickets yeah, to Hamilton. Exactly, exactly. So during that time frame, right, as you're now in this, you're now the, the person who's really doing hands-on work with, with, with these kids, what, what were the most common challenges that you would see, that you would um, either see them going through or that you would help them navigate through kind of those, those struggles at that point in their life. What were the most common things you would see? 
you know, what's funny is, is that I happen to think that the challenges are similar, even though the times and the circumstances have changed. And a lot of it had to do with time management, because the thing is, is that like drama wasn't their only thing. You know what I'm saying? That, uh, some of them, their parents were still very concerned about academics and keeping the grades up or whatever. You know, some of them had religious school, you know, conflicts. Um, regardless of what religion they were, they had religious school conflicts or whatever, you know, so that kind of thing, um, or other responsibilities, or they had to go home and take care of a younger sibling or whatever. So it was, you're, you were, it seemed like you were always juggling, you know, it was like I would have kids that they, I would always put the rehearsal schedule out like the week before, and I'd have kids that were in lead parts that would come up to me and say, I can't come on Thursday because I have this thing, like I have a doctor's appointment. Or it's like, well, but I can't do anything about that. You know, it's like, right. you know, except for change the rehearsal. But, um, but it, that was kind of a constant, you know, and I, I still think it probably is even in today. I mean, I know a lot, I still know a lot of drama teachers and a lot of teachers that teach, you know, um, orchestra and band and chorus and, um, and they, they still have those kind of conflicts where there's still only 24 hours in a day, Jason. <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. And, and it kind of leads me to kind of a lot of what I talk about with my, my therapy clients and with my coaching clients and the businesses that I'm working with is, is really the um, three brackets, which is kind of like, what is your actual identity, right? So in high school, they're, 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 they're students, right? Or they're, they're high school students or college students or middle school students their recent graduates, right? There's an, always an identity at that stage of that, but also like, how do they pick what they are, right? So, right, you're the student athlete, you're, the, you're, you're in drama, whatever, but it's really that, that, that particular of what's your personal identity at that time. Really I have a response to that because here it is, okay? The thing is, is that um, how much of an input does the parents have on the kid? Versus how much versus how much does the kid have have his own independence and do his own thing where he's basically um, saying like like this is what I want to do okay you know I mean he can be guided by his parents in which case that um, you know they would say like yeah okay you know whatever but I know of, I know because I've I've experienced and, and I've you know heard stories that my daughter has told me about and and, and other teachers that have said like you know um, the parents were like listen. You know, you're, when you graduate, you know, I don't care where you're going, but you're going to end up going to Harvard Med School. Right. You know, and you're going to be a doctor, most likely a dermatologist, <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, wow, you know. And you're going to take over the family business. <laughs> right. right, right, exactly. And I was like, you know, well, that's great, except is that actually what the kid wants to do? You know, I mean, I, I know a lot of kids that have done that, but I also know, on the other hand, a lot of kids that the kids that I've had exposure to that have been very independent and have done their own thing. And, they're, and because they were so passionate about it, they were like, it's great for the parents to guide them and say, like, you know, this is what we want you to do. But, but um, sometimes there's kids that are very independent and those independent kids are also very passionate about what they want to do. And they could say to their parents, like, look, you know, I want to try this, you know, I want to try, um, you know, writing Hamilton, you know, or writing, you know, um, uh, it's, you know, into the Heights or whatever. So, you know, I mean, 
how did he know that he was destined to do that until he actually tried it? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with a lot of the kids because the kids, there, there are kids that are like, you know, I get it. I mean, you know, like if both of their parents are attorneys, then their parents are going to say, we want you to become an attorney. <laughs> you know, both of their parents are doctors and they're going to say, we want you to become a doctor, you know? So that there's always that bias that someone's going to have to filter through in their own life. Right. And which case, I know, are you defying your parents because you say like, well, listen, I got to, I have to be my own person. I have to do what I want to do. I have to, you know, be, you know, I have this, um, this, this, this passion inside of me, you know, this, um, this vision of where I want to be, you know, I don't know because the thing is, is that like, like with me, you know, I fell into it, you know, with becoming a, becoming a drama teacher. I fell into writing the book. You know what I'm saying? It's not like I ever like grew up as a child growing up thinking, you know, hey, I'm going to become a drama teacher and then write a book, you know, when I retire, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I think there's kind of like that, uh, that balance between being guided. Um, and then there, and then you also have the kid that is totally clueless. They're like, I don't know, you know, but I would say, Usually there's someone in their life, whether it's a teacher or a coach or, or a parent that, you know, that kind of like sees like what they're good at mm-hmm. and maybe like leads them in that direction. You know, my so issue- if they don't know what if they don't know who that person is or they're not self-aware enough. Right. And this is, you know, we're, we're talking about it as adults, but if, if, if you're that 16, 17, 20 year old, 21 year old listening to this, and you're really lost and you're not sure what to do. You're not sure what your, you know, what your purpose is, what you're meant to be doing. What's your advice on how to tap into that based on exactly what, what you were just saying? Well, I, I'm the perfect example of that because, you know, I was already in graduate school and still floundering with what, with uh, my career. And my son was like that too. He had no clue what he wanted to do until he ended up going to um, IDC and Herzliya. And that was the thing that, you know, he was really smart and really bright, you know, and, and he was like, his vision was, I want to be, I want to be in the FBI. But it's not like you snap your fingers and you're in the FBI, right. you know? And I, they, I, know. I have, I have clients who are in the FBI, like it takes a lot of work to get in. Right. FBI. So, and, you know, so it was the same kind of thing, but however, the, you know, and he did a lot of different kinds of things that are just kind of like trying to find himself, you know, where, you know, that let's, mm-hmm. let's backpack across Europe and like find ourselves, right. you know, because yourself uh, is over there. Right. 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 So um, he did a lot of that. And the thing is, is that IDC and the professors at IDC were the things that, 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 that helped focus him. Okay. With me, it was the professor from FSU that helped, that helped focus me. I, I honestly think that, if there was a kid that was totally clueless, don't we have a responsibility as parents or adults or, you know, mentors or whatever to sit down and say, Hey, you know, what's going on? Like, what do you want to do when you're, you with your life for five years from now? And I mean, the world really is their oyster. Absolutely. They just need, they just need guidance. But I'm also finding that people, no matter what age are afraid to ask. So I have two really good recent examples. One is um, a client of mine who's specialized in the, um, I guess we'll call it the generic homeland security 
uh, management emergency situation and okay. was recently at a conference and met uh, the person who was the keynote speaker um, was exactly the position that they want down the road. And by accident, bumped into that person and that person gave them their card. So I challenged them literally this morning. This happened at, uh, earlier this today. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, okay, so what did you do with that card? And they're like, nothing. I'm like, I want to challenge you to reach out to that person and say, hey, you are doing the job that exactly that I want to do in 5, 10, 15 years from now. Would you mind being my mentor? I'm not asking you for more than 20 minutes a month. Are you open to that? Right. And they looked at me like, I could do that. I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's what it takes. And then a few weeks ago at my entrepreneur conference, one of these, this happens to be um, for this business entrepreneur training program I'm in, there's a 22 year old kid who goes to Georgia uh, to UGA and he really wants, he's doing real estate on the side and really trying to build up his business as a student, which is really cool. And he's really in love with this whole entrepreneurship world. And he said, I want to come down to South Florida and work with a guy named Grant Cardone, who's a big sales, uh, big, you know, he just trains on sales and he does uh, real estate and he's all over the internet, big social media presence. And I'm like, okay, so what happens if he calls you and says, you start Monday? Mm -hmm. And his first response was, "Uh, but I, but I got class and I have to, I, I got this to take care of. I'm like, okay, so you're not ready, right? You're not all in. You're not all in. So there's that duality there, right? One is I'm not aware that I can even ask. And the other side is if, if I did ask and they gave it to me, holy crap, then what? That's interesting you said that because I, <laughs> I feel like I'm always lecturing my, you know, my kids. And I will tell you that, that, um, that France is much better, about, much better about it, whatever. But, you know, like for instance, um, Evan – had a meeting with this guy, um, you know, in, in Washington. And he said, and the guy was saying like, Hey, I want, I want to start up like a, my own division of, you know, of this, of this, you know, of the same company, but, um, and I'm kind of interviewing on my own for people that I want. He goes, and I, you know, I heard about you and I wanted, I wanted an interview. He was actually his first interview. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when, after that was done, I said to Evan, I said, what did you do? He said, well, like nothing and I was like I said you didn't even email the guy and say like you know it was like great to meet you I can't wait to you know whatever you know, is there anything I can do to help you with your you know with your task force or whatever you know, kind of thing so it was like I've, I'm kind of like um, bewildered a little bit um, and I, I have to say I might be bewildered slightly um, because of um, all the tech that's available for this generation and the reason is like, for instance, like, like my kids will spend their life texting on the phone, right? And I'm like, you know, I really, I really like talking to people better. <laughs> right, and I'd love to hear from you. Right? <laughs> but, yeah. but I think that's the thing, right? There's no excuse, right? Let's say, so someone like, so a high school kid, right? Who's really into like figuring out like, okay, I don't know what school I want to go to, but uh, like, I don't even know what's out there. And it's funny because I just quote you. I know you said Evan went to um, IDC, which is a really amazing program in Israel, and they do a lot of uh, security and, and tech and, and other stuff like that and combining those worlds. One of my clients was looking at, you know, I want to go into, I don't want to go into military and I don't want to go into FBI, but I do want to go into like, you know, security, but not the IT side. I'm like, well, have you looked on the internet? And they're like, well, nothing exists like this. Right. And I'm like, uh, there is. 
and there is a place in another country, and it's one of the top programs probably in the world. I'm not saying you have to go all the way across the world, but there must be another. But look at the programs there and then start Googling what other universities has that program. So I think, right, you're, you've been doing this for 35 years as an educator. I'm doing this as a therapist and before that, right, as a youth director to, to inspire and motivate and to help people find their purpose and their passion. Sometimes I find like people just aren't that, right. The laziness is maybe that's what it is that they're waiting for someone to tell them what their, their purpose is. And I want to challenge people out there to say, you have to go after it. You have to ask help. You have to, you have to do the research. No one's going to pop up. You are lucky, right? You had someone who said, Hey, you might as well, you should think about this. I had someone like that in my life who said, you know what, maybe you should go into this world too. But that's not all of us are going to get lucky like that. So how do we, how do you tell that person out there, whether they're in high school, whether they're in college, whether they're a young, a new professional, a young adult, what do they need to do to get clear on that? I think it's kind of a, uh, getting them in the right mindset, you know, because it, to me, it has to do with like, kind of like doing the right thing, you know, even with other people. And doing the right thing is saying like, you know, hey, thanks for taking the time to meet with me or I really enjoyed your meeting with you and, I, you know, is there anything else that we can do or whatever? I mean, just that, just those few kind words or whatever, you know, is something that's really important. If, uh, if you notice that with me trying to develop the book, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I Facebook blast everybody, but I always like, you know, thank that person. Like, like I just, you know, when I had the thing this morning, you know, I, when I put the Facebook down, I, I said, you know, thank you to this media specialist from this elementary school for inviting me to come to your school, you know, kind of thing, because I think it's the right thing to do so that when anybody goes and sees that, you know, they're going to say like, oh, he went to Hollywood Park Elementary and the media specialist's name was Joan, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but why shouldn't I give her the kudos that she deserves, you know, kind of thing. That's part of what we need to kind of like, uh, you know, teach the kids. Well, it sounds like simple gratitude. I agree. Simple gratitude. So that, so before we jump into the whole exciting conversation of the new stuff that's happening in your life, which is this really cool book, my last question to you, which I think you're the perfect person to ask. (laughs) I don't know about that. I I really like this is, this is like, and it popped up that I was writing notes on the side, right? Which we talked like, so I wrote, I wrote down three words, identity. And then we talked about prioritizing, right? Scheduling and count, right? And how do they decide what's the most highest priority? And I'm a big fan of, right? We got five fingers. You pick five priorities and you only stick to that and everything else gets dropped, right? And I think that's a really cool, simple technique that people can add, right? My family, my friends, spirituality, health, working out, whatever. That's it, right? If those are your top five priorities. That's the only things you schedule, right? And that's, so, that's, so that's one of the notes that I, I put down. But my question to you is, how does someone decide whether something should stay a hobby or they should make a career out of it? Well, good question, huh? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, here's the thing, okay? I honestly think, and you know, I did teach you for 35 years, okay? And it, it, at that point in my life, I knew that it was time to move on. Of course, I was of the right age and, you know, was able to do that. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a problem. But, you know, I just knew that it was time for me to move on. Now, the, 
people always say like, oh, why well, they always say one of two things. One is like, oh, teaching, you know, if you can't become a doctor or lawyer, you become a teacher, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't actually know like what we do or what, you know, what it's like or, you know, anything like that. So then you really don't have any basis of comparison. I honestly will say that I respect teachers so much because they have to put up with so much, you know, and they and like you know they go home exhausted, you know, and you know and sure you know they they can't wait until it's Friday because they need the weekend just to recover, you know. So, but the thing is, is that they most of the ones that do it do it because they love it. They they know that they have um, that they're going to make a difference in kids' lives, that they're going to impact kids, you know, in a positive way. That, you know, so for them, it is their passion. It's like the thing that they, that they know that they should be doing. Um, I have a lot, of, a lot of my former students that I had from high school and also from Broward College or whatever, they, they went into nursing. It's the most un, second most unappreciated field ever, you know? Um, they're, you know and they, they do these they do ter- terrible things. <laughs> You know, and get paid no money and work terrible hours and whatever. You know, it's like you know, and it's whatever. But they love it. But they love it, right? Yeah, they love it. So is that the key, right? So even when you're cleaning up crap, if you love cleaning up crap, and you love it, you're in the right place. Well, if you love cleaning up crap, you you know, you know that you're just going to be something else. You know, around the corner where it's going to be like, okay, you know, I cleaned up the crap, but, you know, Mr. So-and-so, I can help him with his therapy or I can help him, you know, have a good day or whatever. I put a smile on his face or whatever. That's what makes the difference in, in you. And if you notice, like, you know, it's not about the money. Now, there are people that go, that will go into a specific field and you and I, I'm sure both know this, you know, I know, I know people that are doctors and lawyers now like right now, as in, you know, 2018, they hate it. Right. You know, I mean, they make a lot of money, but they hate it. You know, they don't enjoy their job. They don't enjoy what they do. They don't enjoy, enjoy their hours that, you know, like, yeah, I mean, they can go on nice trips and vacations and all that kind of stuff because they, you know, they're making good money, but you know, do you want to wake up and hate your job every day? You know, or do you want to wake up and go like, wow, you know, like, you know, I have the the best of both worlds because now I'm retired. I can tutor on the side and promote the book, you know, kind of thing. And I kind of do my own thing, you know, whatever. But certainly, you know, my, my key is that, you know, you have to love it. You have to wake up loving it. Yeah. Definitely agree with you. So now let's get to the key part. (laughs) As you become, as you become the, perhaps the first world renowned author from Cooper city, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. Can you think of anybody else from from uh, from the hood? <laughs> so tell us. So so tell us about this really awesome book. And obviously, as as people are listening to us, they can go right over to Amazon. That's probably the easiest place for them to find it. So 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 go for it. So jump on in right on that. Well, I will tell you that's interestingly enough because uh, towards the end of my teaching career, when I knew that um, that was winding down, and I was, I was, and I still felt like that I had a lot of like creative, um, creative juices inside of me. But I have to say, there were other reasons for me to write the book. One was is because I really 
as a child growing up and even as an adult, I'm not doing as much as I used to, but, you know, I loved reading. Mm -hmm. So, and I think we've kind of gotten away from that, you know, and, you know, as I told you before, you know, I, you know, Amy and I used to read to our kids every night before they went to bed and they were, you know, reading Goodnight Moon by themselves at the age of three. So, you know, I think we need to concentrate more, more on, just the joy of reading and the joy of reading to our kids. I think there's, an, it provides a special kind of bond you know, to that as well. Um, so I wrote the book, this book, The Fabulous Feats of Mr. B. Um, I have no idea who Mr. B actually is, Jason. I don't know. Um, some people say that there's a resemblance between Mr. B and me in the sense that um, he's bald and he's quirky and that he, um, he, he teaches drama, you know, I mean, go, go I, don't see any dis, I don't see any of the similarities. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know. He's married, you know, I just said it, and I get it. Right. So, um, and what happened was, interestingly enough, is that um, I wrote the book and I didn't tell anybody about it. And then it kind of like, you know, came back one day and said, to Amy, my wife, and I said, "Hey, I wrote, I wrote this book." And you know, I said, "Do you want to read it?" And like, she, and and um, she read it, and she was like, "Oh my gosh, this is like amazing!" You know, and I'm like, "Isn't your wife supposed to say it's amazing?" <laughs> no matter what, even if it's toilet right. paper, right? That's right. your job. So, but I, you know, but I shared it to a few other people, and they loved it. They were like, "You should get this published, whatever." So, you know, so we went down that path or whatever. But as I was doing that, I actually wrote like three or four more, and then I took some time off, and then I wrote like three or four more. So, so it's actually now a series. I have a series of thirteen. Oh my gosh! You know, of, of books, yeah. It's in, and um, it's you know it's fun because it's, we're right in the developmental stage. Like I said, um, it launched a month ago. So I am September 17th, and it's been exactly a month. Today was my first public, public uh, presentation at a, you know, outside as Mr. B, and it's, it's, just, it's just a lot of fun. So it's, uh, it's something that's um, keeping me young. That's awesome. So who's the book for? Who should be getting it? What's the, what, what, what themes and topics are you tackling? Um, the... The age group is really kind of like, you know, pre-K through probably fourth grade, um, which I would say is like little, you know, little like two or three up to maybe like nine years old. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started the book and the concept of the book, I did so with a specific reason in mind. And honestly, I had, the reason was is that we, we kind of discussed this a little earlier is that um, education was kind of like getting away from, from the arts and, and they were teaching for the test. All right. So that things like drama and art and music to a certain, except for marching band or whatever, but you know, they were kind of like chorus and all that. They were kind of like, you know, going by the waysides because they wanted to put in extra classes for, you know, reading and literacy and math help and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, to get ready, you know, and writing and to get kids ready, you know, ready for the, what used to be called the FCAT, I think now it's called the Florida assessment or something like that, <laughs> whatever, you know. And um, so the first few books deal mostly with drama, you know, and they're, they teach like, you know, relaxation, creativity, you know, thinking outside the box, you know, all those things that we don't do in the classroom, 
you know, um, use, use, use of your own, own imagination or whatever. And then they move towards, you know, things that could occur in the, in the classroom. And they do deal with some topics, you know, like, you know, two of the kids get into a fight. Um, in one situation, Mr. B's cat passes away, you know, whatever. And so they deal with death and they deal with uh, someone coming to the classroom in another country, you know, kind of thing. So um, there's a lot of relevant issues that I think, you know, occur. And hopefully that will encourage them to buy books two through 13. <laughs> Are they all going to be, so what's the, what's the timeline? What's the game plan as far as releasing them and eventually making, putting it out as a set? How does that work? Um, that's a really good question, actually. Um, the second one is finished and it's able to be published. I actually have um, the cover of that in the, in the back of that book. So here's the cover of that book. See, Fabulous Feast of Mr. B. And that one's called Opposite Day. So, and this one is called Mr. B's First Day. So, um, it's ready to go. Like, I could basically just, um, I, I need to kind of like come up with a game plan with my publisher mm -hmm. um, and just say like, well, when do you want this you know, to come out or whatever? But I, I think that we would like to try to maybe do like a series of five um, by Hanukkah and Christmas of, uh, like a set of five by Hanukkah and Christmas of, 2019 very cool very yeah. cool yeah so as people are listening to this and learning more about you and hearing more about the book um you said also not only are you writing the book but you're also tutoring is that stuff that you're doing in person online i'm doing both you know both yeah cool. and, what's, and what subjects specifically <laughs> everybody is always looking for a good tutor and thank god it's 2018 and the internet is here fully and people should take advantage of not necessarily having to hire someone who lives right around the corner from them. No, I appreciate that. Um, I can, my, obviously my background and strength is in anything like English related. I don't want to do anything above middle school math, <laughs> but I do a lot, honestly, of, um, which by the way, I, it's the same kind of thing, you know, how you, you, you find fulfillment in like little things. And I actually find fulfillment in, in kind of like, you know, little things because I, well, I'm, I tutored someone that was not from the United States. She was mm -hmm. from Columbia, but she was in med school and I actually like helped her with her interviews to get to go for her residency. And she got accepted to like three schools, mm -hmm. three, three hospitals. And I'm doing that again with another, with another client who is the same thing. And he has, he just actually has his, his, um, his interviews. He had an interview yesterday and he had two more interviews before. So he has like eight more interviews that I'm so what we do is we do like mock interviews, but so I do like, you know, public speaking, you know, writing, English literature, you know, grammar, composition, all that kind of fun stuff. Well, it sounds based on that. You have a new little niche to, to segment yourself in the market. So instead of you waiting for you to be like, what am I going to do in between my writing my books? I'm going to smack you across the head and say, hey, buddy, Mr. B, here's your niche, market and target overseas students who are trying to do interviews and want tutoring and guidance. And uh, so they, right? Yeah, from, from your mouth to God's ears. Right? <laughs> but that's how it happens, right? In conversation with someone else, you, right, would you even think that, you know what, if I advertise this the right way, I can pick up 20 people, right? And, and that's kind of what I want to impress on everybody. It's kind of like where you least think that you can have like a little niche 
about something you enjoy, you're passionate about, you have fun and you're helping somebody else. So you're, 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 you're doing that. So if people wanted to find you, if they wanted to reach you, how do they, how do they find you? How do they connect with you? Um, they could go to my, the book website, which is brucepweinberg.com. All right. And just fill out information and then I would have their email. Okay, great. So if they wanted the tutoring, if they wanted to talk to you about uh, having you do something with the book, either way, that's the best place for them to get Absolutely. you. Absolutely. That'd be perfect. Awesome. Well, beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I wish you incredible success. I can't wait to uh, see more and more of these books come out and to see you not only doing local, or, you know, these local shows, but I can't wait to see you as you work your way towards the bigger scene. And I really want to thank you for joining us. Today. Well, I'll let you know when they when they invite me to have a Mr. B lands at Disney or Universal. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say, see you, JK. <laughs> it's been great. Exactly. That's what I'm looking forward to hearing. So again, so thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to hearing more in the future. Thanks for listening to the You Winning Life podcast. If you are ready to minimize your personal and professional struggles and maximize your potential, we would love it if you subscribed so you don't miss an episode. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at You Winning Life.